Hello, and welcome back to Six Rings, a six-episode podcast recapping ESPN's The Last Dance, the ten-part docuseries on the legacy of the 1990s Chicago Bulls, 1990s Chicago Bulls. As always, I'm your host, Sean Glennis, and I'm here with Arlen Golden and Soham Godry. Uh, and we are also joined today by a guest, Midwestern filmmaker Ryan Gleason. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. So, um, what is your interest uh, in in this series so far? Um, I, I I hear that you're from um, Indiana. Uh, yes. Did you grow up a big Bulls fan? No. Um, <laughs> I grew up. So I grew up in a sort of a breadbasket of basketball obsessiveness. Uh, mm-hmm. And. Uh, yeah, more, I guess, as a kid, more of a Pacers fan, but, like, we're all Jordan fans. And being a Pacers fan, I was actually able to watch the Bulls more than I think most kids outside of the Bulls' um, telemarket right. uh, normally could. But, um, yeah, it was a uh, Pacers fan first. Uh, I've lived in Chicago for almost 12 years, um, and... I follow the Bulls much more closely these days than the Pacers. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so I guess what have you been, uh, what's your, what's your take on the series so far? Well, now, now it's over, but um, what is kind of your uh, trajectory so far going through it week by week? I would say, sorry, I have a lot of notes and in two different places. <laughs> uh, the, in general, I would say that the first two episodes, I kind of came into it um, nervous and skeptical. Like, our first teaser we got had, like, Justin Timberlake in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it would, you know, you get the sense of what it's probably going to be. Um, but the first two episodes really hooked me. Um, yeah. In a way that I feel like it's kind of just been a slow decline since then. Um, yeah. That like there's, there was like a richness and tightness to the first two episodes that had a, it had a really good hook to it. And by these last two, they kind of felt like rough cuts more than the same polished thing from five weeks ago. Yeah. There, there seemed to be like some energy coming into it. Um, I don't think any of us, um, after the first two episodes, had as many like hesitations or it, the seams weren't showing yet. Would you guys agree? Yeah, it, it was, you know, and I wonder if some of that comes from just the rush to air that happened once, you know, the shelter in place and lockdowns and all that started. Um, What's this know. now? <laughs> but like, you know, um, they they were they said they were working on episodes nine and eight when one and two aired, so we we know this was done kind of under the wire and like probably not ideal you know situation for you know Ryan obviously you know there's getting a film locked and ready for like Sundance and that can happen up until the day before but like um, you know you would think a project like this 
that has been in development for literal decades, you know, that they they could um, give it some room for some reviews, some notes, <laughs> you know, like uh, take it back, work work it out again. Um, but I think that was probably sacrificed because of of you know everyone's palpable excitement of just seeing the thing. Yeah, and I think there's two different things there too where like there's some like sloppiness stuff like i didn't see it but one of my colleagues caught a loose frame in episode nine last night that's just (laughs) that's just sloppy um and that's probably already been fixed but that happens from rushing and delivering on saturday um but i think like just general story editing it doesn't feel like it would be anywhere near what i think is ready by june and july anyway Hmm. like it feels like they could spend another year looking at this and like really shaping it more and right yeah at least um and before we we like zoom in on on the last two episodes um so am i i kind of wanted to get because you we missed you last week um i kind of wanted to get your your thoughts and fill us in on um sort of how the series ended from the last four episodes um, I think uh, I I think that it kind of just got in it settled into a groove um, probably by like episode like four or five and then it just kind of coasted through the rest of the way and by groove and coasted I don't mean either of these two things in like great competence or anything It's it's more just like they figured this was good enough and they edited it and mm-hmm. did all of like the arranging and everything and f- said like you know this is entertaining enough this is as good it 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 definitely was not a um series that aimed really high you know it uh it it was i think its main goal was just simply to be something that was like a um an entertaining kind of nostalgic piece, which is, which is very, um, I guess appropriate for the media culture we have now, right? Like every, even like movies and like Hollywood and TV shows are just constantly reminding us of stuff from the past. So it, it, I think, they probably mm-hmm. saw that this that was what you know people like and that's what uh you know gets views and they decided on that it's interesting you um that makes me remember like i was thinking through uh towards the end of episode 10 um and i know like we've talked a lot during these episodes about this being uh, you know, Jordan likes greenlit this thing after uh, the LeBron championship from 3-1 and all that type of stuff. And obviously, like, he's invested in restoring his legacy. But I was also thinking about it um, as it became apparent that the wizard stuff was not going to come in. That, like, um, ESPN, uh, you know, like a Disney um, property, that this was also just trying to, like, more specifically tailor his legacy to a very specific constrained timeline um to like that being the end and and i had more to give (laughs) it's like yeah and then you did and we saw it uh in washington um but it it sort of like doesn't even like 
it just completely ignores that in favor of like a what if, um, what if they stayed together or whatever. Um, it has this like sort of pregnant pause in the air, and I think a lot of people feel pretty sure what would have happened the next year if they played the Spurs. But um, yeah, I was just thinking about that in terms of like this being the end of Jordan's legacy. Like it's trying to say that. Um, even though we know that there are more loose strands there, but that's not exactly cute. Yeah, I, I don't know. You brought it up, and it's the first time we've we've talked about it. But for some reason, I was really thinking about the the you know Disney property element of this, and you know also just the co-production nature between really the two you know biggest corporations and. Media, I guess, right? Disney and Netflix, and just you know, I think we've we've heaped a lot of blame, I guess, for lack of a better word, on Jordan, and like you know, Jordan had final cut, you know, it was his uh, say so on the footage, you know, on what to use, but you know, the just the corporate interests at play here, um, and the like you're saying that the kind of need in something like this to be packaged as a tight narrative that concludes and you know this is the story um you know probably comes from more of that side of of the corporate side than you know i'm I'm sure michael would have talked about uh wizards he's you know he he talks about himself a lot and, and seems to enjoy doing it um, you know, which isn't like a bad thing. It's, uh, it's he's an interesting guy, but like, um, that that that's obviously not the focus of the project. It's not the scope, but like, you know, this goes back to something we've been talking about all series, which is like, you know, what what is the last dance and who is it for? Um, it mm-hmm. became clear as it went on that this is more of a Jordan doc than a Bulls dynasty doc. Yet, you know, when the Bulls dynasty ends, the doc ends and the story ends. Um, So, you know, it's I don't think it ever really settled on what it wanted to be. And in kind of trying to like toe the line between these two or three different ways of playing it, um, it it ended up not doing any of those things as well as it might have if it had you know refined its focus yeah it becomes pretty like uh, clear that um it doesn't know what it's doing when it goes into like steve kerr and like his father and stuff yeah that was interesting too because it's like it's totally this element of it that's like very in the present right because we're only hearing about this because steve's the coach of the warriors now and and you know what they've achieved is their own dynasty but like you know as a player you know he had the shot but like i don't think he was one of maybe the main guys that we would have thought to like give his own segment to like that like like i don't i steve pretty much got as much time as tony kukoc maybe he definitely got more interview time yeah. right you know like like you know the story was probably still uh you know re- equivalent but like just in terms of talking to steve we only talked to tony for like one sentence so 
that that's something that's totally like this is what contemporary basketball fans in 2020 are going to be interested in and and you know they they really gave a lot for that Ryan, so Ann, did you guys have thoughts about this Steve Kerr sort of tangent, um, or maybe you thought that it fit well? I don't oh know. no, it didn't fit. Uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah, and I think maybe I think he had more time than Kukoc's story, um, and Kukoc's story is spaced out between two different things with the Dream Team and then him actually arriving. But mm-hmm. those stories are about Scotty. It's not actually about Tony. Um, yeah. Then I think those are that's a very distinct difference in that most people's stories within this are framed within the context of Scotty and Michael, um, and the Kerr one just goes off on this tangent that we have never been on. It's just somewhere else. Um, which, <laughs> like, really, it's really interesting. Is. I love Kerr, but. Uh, I mean, he he was talking, I don't remember what podcast I was listening to, but he was complaining about ESPN's marketing of putting him on the poster. He's embarrassed by it. Um, (laughs) And I assume this extends as well, because Kerr was, like, what, seventh guy on the bench? Um, Respect to Kerr, he did, but, like... The, Luke Longley's name was mentioned like three times in the ten hours. Yeah, yeah. Dude. Uh, it, yeah, and then also, just to go on the like branded content, the worldwide leader in sports is making this. I'm pretty sure Jalen Rose spoke more in regards to the Pacers than Reggie and Larry did. And Jalen <laughs> yeah. was like the ninth guy on the bench. Jalen barely played. They actually go out of their way to show a shot of Reggie hugging Jalen after I think game three. Um, that it just that's it. It just felt very crafted in a way of like sure. getting because he's the ESPN talking head. Yeah, that's a that's a that's an interesting point because I hadn't really thought of about that connection. That obviously Jalen is getting you know those ESPN bucks. But Zohan, did you have thoughts? About the Steve Kerr stuff in um, particular? I thought that um, it was... It definitely went on a tangent with the story about his dad and everything. Um, I was... I was Maybe it's because I was, like, half paying attention to that part. Uh, I thought it was, like, kind of compelling the way that they did the... Um, the... You know, they concluded it with the shot of him... Uh, in I think it was like it was it game five or games I think it was game six uh in Utah where he hit that shot and um yeah I thought that was uh pretty cool um I mean I've seen it all before I've seen his conversation with Michael on the bench before that shot also before I really right. liked his uh his speech at the championship parade um I thought that was that was yeah. pretty funny um I cannot get over the fact that Steve Kerr is wearing a Golden State Warriors t-shirt in all of his interviews. <laughs> I, <laughs> just, it's, I actually kind of wanted, if they were going to like, ha, if they were going to allow him to do that, I wanted him to at least say something about the parallels, the glaring parallels of the fact that he is the coach of the Warriors. Like, when they were talking about Dennis Rodman being a guy who was just like, you know, on his own wavelength and uh, 
hard to difficult to manage and everything like i really wish like kerr would have they would have let kerr just like make an analogy yeah analogy to draymond or something because like it it, like the fact that he was wearing that warriors t-shirt the entire time was kind of just glaring to me (laughs) yeah and i'm sure like and I'm, i'm interested in stuff that he's tried to whether it's emulate or just pick up from from uh, from Phil yeah, or not, yeah. but but uh, I I did I did like the stuff about like uh, Paxson taking him under like that stuff that I didn't really know about, um, and I think another piece of of um, these last two episodes that was interesting was um, like hearing the pizza story. It felt like just like watching on online. Um, and just from personal experience that we had never gotten the depth of that, you know, it's always like the, the hangover game, which like whatever, but, um, hearing this version, whether it's the the truth or not or whatever, it, it, it felt interesting. Um, and like some, something new, whereas just like, uh, hearing about Steve Kerr's dad is just like kind of not interesting. What's interesting about that story to me is that Steve Kerr and Jordan didn't talk about the parallels that they had as like this bond like that's interesting that like they had this here where they could have come together and then they didn't um and then you have also i guess part and parcel with this is the stuff with guess with gus what was his last name gus let gus let um who comes in to be like jordan's like father figure um yeah it's hard not to play armchair psychiatrist with jordan during this do you guys feel that way <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh speaking of that, um I th- they would never uh talk about this in the documentary, obviously, but like there was a million tweets after the pizza poisoning thing of people uh talking about no, actually Michael was just hungover the next morning from that game because he was drinking <laughs> too much the night before. Uh right. <laughs> I mean that would be some hangover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would. Um, but yeah, I had like, I, I just, uh, I was wondering, like, if you guys uh, give that uh, theory any credence that he was just like. I've had a lot of hangovers. <laughs> like, I don't think that. I think it would, like, especially for somebody who's accustomed to. Uh, like you can you can battle a hangover right like in order to have a hangover that bad you have to like be doing something so stupid that you wouldn't do if you had a playoff game the next day right you would have to be just like pouring booze down your throat at like like 4 a.m or whatever i i will say uh hangover in park city is (laughs) a little different given that the elevation Really, yeah. fucks I was you like, up. like we've, uh, you know, we already got the Rodman episode. I'm sure he had plenty of games uh, with a hangover, yeah. and you know, he he did okay. I think I think the thing that was interesting about you know this kind of uh, preamble to the game, right, is and what you were saying about being, you know, the armchair psychologist thing is like. It's very. This is like Jordan's opportunity to, like, have the definitive mythology of his career as a player, and like there was something very palpable in, you know, wanting to change this to the food poisoning game or like Pizza Gate or whatever. Um, <laughs> like, 
you know, and say, no, this is what happened. This is the narrative. I did not have the flu. I was poison. And now it's in this documentary and it's history. And, you know, right. like, so it was, it was, there was something like very, um, like in, intentful and like forceful about the way he made that point. And like, um, but the most interesting thing to me about it was he was like, yeah, nobody else ate it. <laughs> uh i i did the whole i did the whole thing so you know it, it could only have been that <laughs> yeah. it's like somebody tried to grab a piece and like, grabbed it out of their hand and also i mean like once who whether it was pizza delivery or hotel staff or whoever like gets wind that like oh this pizza's for michael jordan like yeah i think it's pretty easy to imagine people wanting to come along on that delivery and just like see him you know Right. It would be. I feel like so. It's weird that they brought in his three kids for <laughs> the Utah bit, like for like a half a second, right? Like each to say something, and I was like, "Wait a second, what?" Like they were willing to talk, and this is all they got, and um, and then they talk about Utah, and. I don't know. Maybe it's like because of like the the like the Russell Westbrook stuff is like is so f- fresh, relatively speaking. But like the Utah thing, it seems like such a thing in the air that it that it also doesn't want to grapple with because obviously the ESPN has a vested interest in the NBA, um, which obviously has a vested interest in the Utah Jazz. But that just seems like such a coded thing, right? Or, or am I just like projecting onto this? I mean, it's it's like, it's kind of, you know, unsaid in, in the footage of fans, I guess, if you're if you're looking for that and you see who the fans are and, yeah, you yeah. know, you, you... Someone said there's a lot of Karens in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> if, if you're vaguely aware of, of the Russell Westbrook thing and just sort of the history of teams playing in Utah, um, it's... it's the, definitely this bubbling undercurrent to the whole situation but i think you know you you hit it on the nose is like they don't want to be too critical about anything really um you know that this all first and foremost this is a piece of entertainment i think and like so the the thing that the series has avoided entirely almost um aside from discussing the the senate endorsement uh controversy is race right there's really no discussion of of race of what it meant for michael jordan as a black man at that time to be the most recognizable and like kind of trusted from a brand perspective figure in a world like you know before jordan it was it was tennis players selling shoes really um and the kind of shift to say you know michael jordan is this wholesome character who eats wheaties and drinks gatorade and eats mcdonald's and wears nikes and stuff and you can make a lot of money doing that um you know there's there's a lot to explore there and you know it's just I'm sure consciously just entirely avoid it. Yeah, it's, it reminds me. So, um, uh, Arlen, you brought to our attention this interview that uh, Steve James did about this series and sort of getting his thoughts after like eight episodes. And 
he talks about um, in a way that I wasn't really informed about, um, but can can uh, definitely see uh, that um, Michael Jordan didn't really have a strong relationship with the city or uh, I guess just the African-American population. Like he didn't have a specific relationship to either of those things. And this, I guess this documentary like sort of just goes to emulate that um, as well. And it's in like when they talk about Grant Park, even I like takes me like a second to go, Oh yeah. Like, just to get a specific about any of these places is um, sort of jarring. I don't know. Do you guys have any any thoughts about that, um, Ryan? Have you? I guess I I wrote I wrote a note that just says this could be happening in Barbados for all we know. <laughs> um, I yeah, I think it's an I think it's a really important part of uh, the Isaiah and Michael thing too. Is that Isaiah is chicago through and through and honestly those pistons teams are a chicago style of basketball when you you think about the Mm -hmm. some of the great players that have come out of chicago and still do like patrick beverly would just slot (laughs) in perfectly on one of those pistons teams and i think there's a lot to be said to the fact hoop dreams just you just feel isaiah through the whole thing and that's being shot over the course of Jordan becoming Michael Jordan, but Isaiah is so present because Isaiah sort of represented Chicago in a different way. And I think that in turn had a lot to do with the tension between the two of them. Um, but since this doesn't want to talk about yeah, that's interesting. sort of the city it's representing, it's not actually, I hadn't thought yeah, about it. It's just weird. I hadn't thought about it that way as like an added layer of, of, texture and frisson between them being that he's like he's uh grafted onto this city he is like the face of the city that isaiah uh previously was that's really interesting so Hen, did you have any any thoughts about sort of like this being a detached um piece of something that is that you know i guess for all of us is very specifically tied to a place in a time um I think it's uh I think one of the main problems was that it didn't really give a whole lot of context for that place and time outside of like the music selections which I think we can all agree are <laughs> some, are one of the three or four best things about the documentary the all the compilations Big Pearl Jam with fans like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like all the compilations. I mean, I was thinking more uh, Fat Boy Slim, um, like, but I think that this tried to be like really univer- like a universal message to all of basketball fans, and trying to translate it like cross generations to kind of give you know younger people a context of what that era was and who this team was and how it was all defined and everything. So I think for Chicago Bulls fans, sure, it it has a distinct place and time, but I think they, the way that they made this documentary was clearly geared towards making it like, like giving like a universalized message for better or for worse. Yeah. Which is the Disney way, right? Like to, 
take everything out of like remove everything from any sort of specific context and and apply it to some sort of like universal message of whatever that thing is pushing which i guess here is uh that winning is possible i don't know something <laughs> like that um yeah yeah it's, yeah, it's interesting too when you think about uh you know the most recent kind of good bulls um and some of those players relationships to the city you know what what luol dang uh did for the sudanese immigrant community there um joakim noah uh to stop gun violence you know let alone you know native son Derek rose and just kind of how common you know the mba cares thing right is like having some kind of basic level of social awareness even for the non stars necessarily you know those guys were all all stars but like um just you know every team has these uh engagement and players have these foundations um and you know something jordan was the most well-resourced player uh, in history at the time right and like um so it, it it's even more glaring um both that he you know didn't engage in that way and and neither did the film um someone someone brought up hoop dreams i think like it's hard to talk about a basketball documentary with the based in chicago without you know drawing some comparisons and parallels but you know the one of the things that i've talked with ryan about that you know and i mentioned on this podcasts is just the total illegibility of um the basketball scenes in terms of the <laughs> yeah. composition yes. and editing and like um you know hoop dreams you know p- put forth a way that that you could show a basketball game in like a cohesive way that you know still plays out this narrative i think i um shout out also to to the big game um this this 80s doc that was uh based in indiana that indiana high school basketball that i think did that really well too and that that hoop dreams probably took from but like um you know the way it's done here it's so disjointed there's like these they're not even highlights they're like you know buckets going in uh there's there's no plays like setting up and like you know even throughout the game like some of these the pacers games they talk about you know you're really relying on just kind of michael at all explaining what happened when you know hey you know we have a whole game here we can look at uh to to just show us this right it it's really it really feels like i'm watching something that is this is very harsh, but it doesn't feel like they fully under... I don't know who they is, but somebody making decisions here doesn't understand basketball. <laughs> um, and really what makes... like One of those jazz games ends with the jazz with 54 points. Yeah. And we've never seen a defensive highlight. That's the best part of these teams. <laughs> like to be able to watch Scotty and Michael stretch across the floor just the two of them is so beautiful and that's really what made those teams as great as they were. And Ron Harper. And and Ron Harper and they keep they mentioned Dennis being good at defense but Pippen and Jordan were just defensive gods. Um and you just never see it and they're just 
telling you things when we could actually be watching them because we have the yeah, footage. It's, it's almost an aside how they bring up, you know, the Rodman Malone battle. It's like, you know, Dennis and Carl, they had their thing going in the series and like, you know, we, you could see some of those arms being thrown, right? Just, just show us like, yeah, I, I, um, to again, go to like other filmmakers. Like I, I rewatched he got game earlier this year and that was something that takes pleasure in showing basketball as, you know, as just something you watch every, like you are allowed to, to put your eyes where you want, right? On the bodies playing, rather than trying to force the camera into a situation that makes it look a certain way aesthetically. And, um, and I really appreciate that for that. And it's clear that, you know, Spike Lee loves basketball and wants to, to look at it. Um, and this, yeah, like, I, I'm glad you brought it up, Arlen, because there are many times where I was, like, looking forward to seeing something in, in the way that you watch basketball on TV. And then it just keeps doing all these cuts. Um, and I, I think it does a little bit better in the 10th in the, um, episode, I think it was, because there are sort of these climactic moments where, you know, like, Jordan missing that buzzer beater against Indiana. Um, we got to see, like, a couple times. Or him ripping the ball from Carmelone. Um, which is which is great, and actually getting to hear from Jordan uh, about like uh, him being on the weak side, and because of that Rodman clash thing, like that was great. That is like gold. Um, but that is that that's not really what is going on through the rest of the documentary. But um, yeah, it, it's 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 really frustrating. I just want to like just go on YouTube, or you know, I want to have access to these archives and just watch the fucking game and like the tv broadcast where you just get to see like replays and (laughs) instead of just like and then a shot went in and we walked into the locker room i mean i know there's there's so much to fit in right and because it's trying to tell all these different stories and do all these different things but how nice would it have been to spend you know, even 20, 30 minutes on just, like, one significant game and, and kind of just actually, like, go through it start to finish in, right. in a way that really demonstrates Jordan and the Bulls, uh, you know, like, beautiful play, like you were saying. Like, um, you know, the, the we've talked about Space Jam. That's another one that, that tells a story through a basketball game and I think does it well. Um, but like, you know, to, to the thing we've been talking about this whole series with the footage, you know, they had a baked in narrative, like, like this is a, this is a Hollywood sports movie, you know, thing where, you know, it's the last, it's the last season. And we know now in retrospect that they're going to win the championship. So like that, that they could have just really taken us through that and it, the way it was done was so confusing like the 98 pacers to the 97 pacer series and like you know getting lost in that um like like you know this is something where people who make you know verite sports docs direct cinema sports docs like you know they they pick someone and they hope they're gonna win right they hope it's gonna be a success for for their subjects and and by extension the film right but you know they had that package here and for whatever reason elected not to really play that up and again it's like who is it for is it for people who already know what's going to happen 
Is it for people who don't? Is it trying to walk this balance with, I don't know, I can't. Um, it's, it's just, that's the main problem, is that just trying to do all of those things. Yeah. It, it's like, so they, they wanted to do a myth survey, not unlike baseball. Um, which I think, I'm a big fan of baseball. I don't love Ken Burns, but I love baseball. Because <laughs> it seems to like really understand what makes a myth a myth. Um, and he knows how to like pace those things out to like build them into myths and you can really feel it. And this feels like if baseball was made by like somebody who's only interested in the celebrity of a baseball player, like it's, it's ultimately a celebrity sort of thing where the basketball is very much second or third wheel. Yeah, everything is peripheral to Jordan's ability to be a mental, like, powerhouse, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny you bring up baseball, and we we talked about Burns kind of dig at the series already, but, you know, really that, I feel like that's what The Last Dance is trying to be, is, is sort of a Ken Burns Bulls doc without Ken Burns and, you know, less talented. Uh, it's trying to do that same sort of like you know comprehensive uh objective in quotes history um but just you know when i was looking at jason Hare's imdb credits last night after the series ended leaving like a really foul taste in my mouth like how did this guy get to this point you know this is really it's really a sports show producer at least you know i don't i don't know all the details but you know it's a guy who directed specials for ufc who you know had a shot with 30 for 30 because they were looking for all these filmmakers to do all these different stories and i think that you know that kind of gave him uh the established um you know credit to to go and be the guy that they hire for something like this but you know i i don't think he's like a filmmaker right like you know and I, i'm not trying to cast aspersions or like he's a project manager yeah it's like you know there's I, I don't know like at least in ken burns there's there's such a unmistakable uh you know you know you're watching a ken burns film right like like and maybe the <laughs> thing about jason Hare's work is you know it's kind of does just enough and is mediocre and that's what makes it a jason Hare film he's a corporate hired hand right he is basically he is basically like what you know the the russo brothers are for marvel and disney it's they they don't have any signature anything None, none of the guys who make any of the uh you know marvel movies have any sort of maybe except for like taika uh ytd but most like it's basically just okay we're gonna hire you uh to do this job we're going to give you an instruction manual and you're gonna follow it step by step yeah which is strange (laughs) uh, i guess from from our perspective if you've been following i guess 30 for 30 or you're interested in documentary like filmmaking because we've been shown good films from the series yes of course um yeah so it's just it it's it's a little off, like off putting and 
Yeah, to just get something that's just like a you know softball down the middle. But I don't I don't think that this was really uh, because these type of bigger uh, docs that um, ESPN makes, I don't I don't know if it's under the same kind of rule set that Thirty for Thirty is under, and I think that. Right. I also think that depending on what the subject is is also really dependent on how much of a leash the filmmaker right. has with ESPN because like if you're doing a, a like I remember one of the most remarkable underrated 30 for 30s that I've ever seen from ESPN was Hillsboro which was about the um the human crush that happened at Hillsboro Stadium uh during a soccer match in England where people were like it, it was like the stadium allowed people to reach maximum capacity near like the um the grounds between two bleachers and people just kept packing into the point where like everyone who was in the front just suffocated and died and um that documentary is not something that ESPN I'm sure thought oh like how many Americans are really going to even freaking watch this the person who directed that directed it incredibly like the footage was like horrifying and it was it was really like it's seared into my brain uh that documentary so but for something like this i think you know espn's like okay it's kind of like works almost contradictory where it's like okay this is a huge thing so we have to do it right and by saying that by saying we have to get this completely right they're just sapping all of the uh all of the uh kind of like um, sapping all of the creativity that could have been had, all of the risk taking that could have been had, because they just wanted to like play it safe because it was too important. Yeah, it's like it's it's like George, it's like Disney, and then it's like Jordan as auteur. Like the, the, those are the driving forces. I, I would like to add a maddening note to that. Uh, I don't know how true this actually is. I think he thought it was a good story, but Jason Herrer was on JJ Reddick's podcast last mm. week mm. Um, and mentioned that when they called him to see if he was interested, they were pushing to not do any interviews. Oh, oh my God. And he pushed wow. back. Oh, my God. Uh, which is just like, I, I'm, it's, it's been like, Six days since I listened to that, and I can't stop <laughs> yeah, and, thinking about and, it. I see and Jason Hair was like, "Who am I, Asif Kapadia?" Yeah. Like, well, Wait, so so they discuss it on air. Like, it's not like a preface to the pod or anything. No, no. He he's talking about it because he's saying it like it's a good story. Like, can you imagine oh, these guys didn't want to do interviews? Yeah, that's like um, you know. I was about to go in and be like, you know, again, I'm not trying to denigrate Hair, like, like. I understand this was a huge project with all these different powerful forces at play yeah. and you know it's impossible to satisfy everyone's expectations you know least alone or uh critical film people like us but like yeah. if I once I hear that from Ryan then I'm like <laughs> it changes yeah. my whole perspective yeah because I'm like geez like like even the corporate you know, f- nameless, faceless ESPN, oh, yes, yeah. right? Like, like they wanted to do the right thing, and it was your choice to make it worse actively. That <laughs> is frustrating. And like, like you know, th- thanks for bringing up um, Hillsborough. So, Ham, I, I hadn't seen that. It sounds really interesting. But like those, 
the the those 30 for 30 films like you know we've talked about oj on here but they they could get kind of loose and creative formally um one of my favorite slept on ones was i i think the very first one the about ricky williams um which is really just run ricky run. like mm-hmm. camp yeah run ricky won't run just like his self-filmed camcorder footage like sequestered in his cabin up in the woods like I love that film and it's I think it was a great one for them to lead with because you know going into it it's like well what is this just going to be a bunch of you know essentially what the last dance was like just kind of a you know talking head sports you know boy that guy could really play ball like and like oh no like they're really gonna you know take some risks and do some interesting filmmaking here and and so that really set a precedent that went all the way through through OJ's Oscar win, right? Where like, you know, these aren't just sports films; these are films um, that tell broader stories through the lens of sport, right? And The Last right. Dance is nothing but a sports film, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. They give context to what you watch, like for entertainment right like all like the these sports that we're very much engaged in uh but engaged very narrowly through just like the boundaries of of the game it serves to broaden those you know like broke is a really good one that talks about the financial struggles of professional athletes like the stuff that you don't think of when you're watching the game and this does exactly the opposite to just like just put it in a bubble like everything that you see and that you can find out about Jordan through watching the commercials growing up and that type of stuff. It just serves to like entomb that and just serve it back to you. And on that, I I feel like they're getting a lot of passes uh, from people that I've been reading of like, that's politics are like a main point of conversation with sports these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people are trying to say, you know, times have changed and they have, it's, certainly different but at the same time it still was a conversation then you had craig hodges who was a very important part of the bulls early on who were dashiki to the white house and delivered a message to george hw bush uh on behalf of the entire african-american community and he never played in the nba again and they also did an interview yeah yeah. um (laughs) it's yeah I, I don't know. I I feel like there's some passes happening to like keep it sports focused that it's it's not really for sure. Yeah, I was talking about like I I mentioned this on um uh the two podcasts ago. Obama's comment on Michael Jordan not being actively or politically involved to me was just like just stunning. Stunningly mealy-mouthed nothing of value (laughs) like he was he literally said nothing of value in that whole segment Um, and I was just like well then why even have him on there like he is uh, I'll say it again he is the one person who could hold Jordan's feet to the fire and people would be like okay yeah him and Jeremy Piven neither (laughs) of them did anything (laughs) Uh, another I'd, i'll just add another shit talk to the production of this that uh so the the justin timberlake gets interviewed he gives like 15 seconds about jordan's the, uh, the shoes possible. um but he i was li- it's a, i've been listening to a lot of basketball podcasts lately because i have nothing else to do um 
and Jack McCallum, the uh, great, great Sports Illustrated basketball writer from the 90s, uh, was on Zach Lowe's podcast, I think, two weeks oh, ago. Okay. And he, he explicitly is not interviewed, um, even though he is like one of the main chroniclers of the era. Um, but he's notably the guy who wrote the article that was critical about Michael playing baseball in Sports Illustrated that Michael then blackballed Sports Illustrated from then on out. Um, so McCallum wasn't interviewed and Zach Lowe presses him about it. Turns out they actually had a scheduled interview with him, uh, and they dropped him like the day before because they got Justin Timberlake. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like a, a guy that was, was barred from covering the bulls because of Michael's vindictiveness was got an interview and then they skipped him for Justin Timberlake. To say, like, I liked his shoes growing up. <laughs> yeah. Who's been Disney since, through and through, right? Like, since forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is like, God, Ryan, I'm I'm glad that you told me that, but I'm angry that you did too, because I, I really can't <laughs> stop thinking about Hare's comment. And just, just saying that with like such a plum uh when it's it's kind of all we've been talking about on here is what a disastrous creative decision that's been uh for the series and like you know uh, yeah. to that point uh we talked about you know people giving giving everyone a pass here i it's it's kind of like two discourses happening there's the one i have with you guys every week and then there's this broader discourse that seems to be happening in the mainstream that's like completely overly effusive and like head over heels in love with this series you know i i, I had a look at the letterbox uh score last night after it ended oh yeah, yeah. you know that that that's an exponential curve that goes straight to five like you know what? <laughs> yeah. What? What do you? What do you think's happening here? What's like the discrepancy? What? What are we not seeing that that everyone's enjoying? It's just entertaining. I mean, I even for me, like I'm nitpicking yeah. a lot of the stuff that's on there, but like when I'm watching it, I'm I'm not necessarily like angry or frustrated as much like i'm just like why like oh you know it's just it's fun little romp to watch it's like it's i'm treating Mm -hmm. it kind of like the way that i treat like charles barkley on the inside the nba like it's just you know it's yeah yeah it's like a serotonin hit yeah and for a lot of people i'm sure but and and it and it seems to have it seems to have some sort of energy to it at least like within the weeks i don't know like if you watched it as a whole what it would it, i i don't feel like that would be a successful exercise um to yeah, to go like 10 hours into it like but yeah i don't know like especially i i was noticing we're like so and you brought up the music stuff like where did that go the cool stuff like last night we got this stupid steve kerr thing that led into him making that shot off the double team with like the most like um, it was like James Horner. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was like something out of Miracle, the, yeah. the Disney like hockey movie, where it's just like building up, building up, building up, and I'm just like, this is so uninteresting. Jerry Goldsmith watch. has music. 
<laughs> yeah, and I was just like that, like that, especially how long it went. I was like, what, like, where did that energy go that was brought by those like mixtape breaks where we had like cool pop music, um, and and then it's just like stuff like that where little strands. It it, it really does seem like uh, just like too many cooks uh, putting this together and not like a, a real through line of style. Um, but like week to week, people aren't noticing that, and then they finish it. Go, oh, that was a fun time. Um, you know, five out of five or whatever. On the music note, I haven't talked to anybody about this. Um, in the 1996 fi- finals, they do an extended like montage of the finals, which would be cool, except they're playing like this really weird country-ish version of a Massive Attack song. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys catch that? It like really, I knew it was Teardrop by Massive Attack, which came out around the same time as that. Yeah. So it'd be like, makes sense. But it was a cover. Uh, it was just weird. It was just a really weird And, and thing. To, to kind of go back to the 96 finals, like, I can't, I think I mentioned it last week. I can't remember. But like, still thinking about the fact that Rodman was the finals MVP, like something you just would not know by watching this. And that's like that. That's an interesting thing. That that is that somebody who's not Jordan, um, that's not even Pippen, could have been the MVP of the series of the championship. Like that's an interesting thing. I mean, and they could have used it as something about like the team, you know. But um, again, it kind of goes back to Jordan as the auteur or the you know the reins holder. I don't wait. Yeah. Well, I don't think that, he was the. Uh the finals MVP that, that year. I think, I think somebody said like he should have been, but, um, yeah, I don't, I'm pretty sure Jordan won all six finals MVPs. We all go to Google. (laughs) (laughs) What were you going to say, Ryan? Yeah, I I just, it It was was Jordan. Jordan. Ah, damn. Well, well, just a race. Arlen, when you're editing it, just like, well, I I mean it says a lot about the way that they're constructing this information that you aren't like I I don't put that on you for misconstruing that. It turns out to be like sort of I guess a, a broader um uh sentiment that he should have been um that that's like a conspiracy or not a conspiracy but sort of like, you know, um a uh, controversial thing on its own. Um you know it's it's the jordan centric nature of this project and like you know i think i don't know it's it's just such a missed opportunity and a shame because like you know nobody's gonna want to do something about the 90s bulls now because this has been done and you know the feeling will be the ground's been covered but like you know exploring the team and you know some of those other elements you know there's still so much left unsaid about it um that we'll now probably never get to experience um in a doc because you know this the last dance happened already yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. um ryan one thing uh i remember you positing is like what is this kind of venn diagram between doc heads and and basketball fans and like what what's that about like like even i think i'll I'll only speak for myself but like you know i follow basketball i don't really follow any other sport like did did you ever kind of come to any 
clarity or consensus when talking with people about like just kind of what what that's about because it seems to be true across the board like obviously there's steve james who on that podcast was on with the ross brothers and there have been um davy rothbard i know uh has been pretty hyped on this so so do you have any insight into that um i don't i mean i can say that there was one summer where I worked at the Sundance Doc Edit Lab, and there were two Division One college players, former college players, that were a part of the labs with us. Uh, so it's it's just real. Like, it's just basketball people are attracted. Um, but I don't... So for me, basketball is like... I grew up in Indiana where it's, like, king um, because you... Lots of very tiny communities with small schools, and basketball is the only sport you can play when you have harvest seasons and you only have 12 boys in a class. Um, it makes sense. And then my attraction to documentary is the same thing, where I'm from this sort of place that is so small and sort of irrelevant in a lot of ways that we don't get our stories told. Um, and that's what I'm interested in documentary, and I think those things tie together. Um, maybe the people who are attracted to basketball are the same people who don't, who feel like their stories need to be told more. Um, not really sure though. Was was one of those people Ramel? Ramel Russ? Ramel, it, Ramel was okay. there then. <laughs> um. Well, that's cool. Um. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Indiana, I think you know probably one of the kind of purest visceral serotonin hits was that brief interaction between michael and larry after the indiana series right and like you know again the evidence of like how great this could have been if it had really leaned on the on the 97 98 footage like how many of those moments are probably you know just like out there that we'll never see but like um you know, I, I, I thought that was one of the point, points in the series where I'm just, like, out loud, like, laughing, like, oh, my God. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, the, like, all that stuff is so fascinating to just be, like, able to be a fly on the wall and watch the way that these, like, titans with, like, so much going on like, interact with each other. Like, just the language they speak, like, doesn't have to be narratively interesting. It can be. Um, but it it doesn't have to be to just like want to watch that or or like the stuff with Carl Malone like um, coming onto the bus afterwards that's interesting the stuff with um, Reggie and Jordan like uh, Jordan greeting Reggie when he comes into the tunnel like um, all that stuff is interesting but especially the way that him and Larry like talk to each other um, is fascinating I would love to 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 get more of that stuff and feel like this was more of a uh, you know that sort of ticket into that, but I mean, like you get you get more about their relationship in that thirty to sixty second interaction, I think, than you do about them, you know, sitting down for interviews and you know, in hindsight, kind of reflecting on on you know some games they played, like, and you know, I I feel like I saw something today about you know how this has really humanized. Uh, Jordan the series and you know that that's not what I feel has transpired like <laughs> well, at all um, it goes back but, to that like yeah go ahead 
it goes back to like uh, again like I'll I'll quote uh, Steve James on that that podcast he was on where he brought up like the the ending of what was it like episode eight or six um, where he starts getting emotional about uh, his team being strong enough to play or whatever or to compete. And he says, all right, right, that's a break. And Steve James is like, that's not when you break. That's the opposite thing that you do. You just keep filming. Like, if you don't break, then you get to humanize Jordan. Without that, you don't get to humanize Jordan. Well, in in that with the iPad thing that they're doing, um, he's... They've started... The iPad thing kind of evolved into, like, him using it as, like, a bully trope in a lot of ways where he can just, like talk shit about people's opinions of what happened in, like, what could be an interesting Rashomani way, but mm-hmm. isn't. But, like, why aren't we using that iPad to corner him to look in a mirror? Like, that's that's what this medium is best at doing, um, at least in this, like, form of the documentary medium. Like, that's pretty much exactly what Steve said, too. <laughs> yeah. He's like, why don't like somebody say something t- like that really touches some buttons and then show it to him, and then we get to watch. I mean, it, it's happened to, to some extent, you know, but it's really, I feel like, done in a way that's just set up to give Jordan the last word on something. Right. Like, like yeah. hey, we interviewed these people. Here's what they said about you. You know, respond. Um and you know that that's really kept it from being interesting aside from you know a source of more and more memes <laughs> there was there was really just so much like but going on throughout the series and and in last night you know it's there are things like like the moment we discussed already and and even some of the interview stuff that i think is really enjoyable and just you know, I'll I'll even venture to say moments are well executed, uh, which is you know the biggest praise I'll yeah. I'll give the series. But um, when you get to the the ending, the final like you know five ten minutes of this ten hour epic, and it's this like you know again back to Jackson with you know his cultural appropriation thing and this like Pearl Jam montage and like you know the only footage they shot for this that isn't an interview is like 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 you know a, a trash bucket on fire or whatever um, <laughs> yeah. I, I I felt like like did I like this at all I know yeah. I did I remember liking I remember liking it but like the note that it ended on was just felt so like poorly executed so um like ill conceived and beside the point and you know it's trying to put this tidy bow on everything but it doesn't at all really it just kind of you know it has a cutoff point and then it ends basically um yeah you know i think again going back to what we learned from the jj reddick podcast is just like this there were so many choices that were made that worked to the detriment of this series and like i i feel so much regret and sorrow about it now (laughs) i i will say i think i figured out who this is for 
<laughs> like that that last scene. It's for Bill Simmons. Just, <laughs> like, like the Pearl, the Pearl Jam montage oh, is yeah, just yeah. made that's, for Bill, yeah, and that's sure. that's it. It's it's only for him. Yeah, which is strange because uh, he keeps saying that ESPN hates him. So you know, but <laughs> but he loves Jason Harris. He does because uh, I I think he found him in a lot of ways with the thirty for thirty stuff. Yeah, he he He's got so him good. for the um for the Andre the Giant documentary, which was terrible, by the way. Yeah, I, I never was, I never watched oh, it because I just heard it was like panned. Across oh my the board. god, it was it was like a it was like um an e exclusive Hollywood Story uh, <laughs> level documentary. Like it it, sh- it should have been on like Bravo TV uh, for like half an hour. <laughs> Just, yeah, uh, imagine the guy who made The Last Dance made a movie about Andre the Giant. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, sounds like something to stay away from. I think in evaluating this documentary, it's for me just like it's it lies somewhere in the middle between uh, how are, are we evaluating this as a serious piece of filmmaking or are we evaluating it as just like a tv special because if i'm evaluating this as a tv special it does pretty much anything that i would want from just like you know some something that i'd just be flipping channels onto gives you some right? to like take your mind off yeah of exactly like i mean i've seen i've seen stuff like this on espn all the time you know like for that sure i mean i'll like like i said when i was watching it there wasn't a moment where i was just like wow i'm i'm freaking miserable watching this at all like i was like yeah there's you know i'm yeah i mean it's great but it's like sir it's serviceable right yeah it's like it is is serviceable it it does a thing that it it's set out to do i think um but the thing that it's set out to do wasn't a good thing and like um you know i think serviceable is fine i think entertainment is good i think that there are pieces of media that that serve that purpose and do it well and i enjoy and like you know if nothing else this has been such a salve during quarantine right like like for two hours on sunday I'm living back in Chicago in the 90s and nothing matters and I I can go outside right. and and cough in someone's face and it'll be fine. But <laughs> like like this happens to be this like decades long production that's 10 hours long about, you know, the greatest athlete of all time, the greatest team maybe in all of sports. Uh, that completely changed a sport, um, a city, you know, um, countless individuals' lives. And there's so much at stake with all the footage. Right. And, and yeah, and you which know, they promoted thinking. so much that they have all this right. 500 hours of film. And it just like... Not, that was like, the discrepancy. Yeah. So 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 th- yeah. with all that at play we're going to have something that's that's merely serviceable as you know like right. a 2 hour entertaining distraction and it's like it's I'm disappointed. Yeah. I I'm I'm glad that I've had uh, cuz I I do wonder because it has all of those like distracting qualities what I would what my experience would have been if I didn't um 
have this this uh, place to like talk about it and sort of digest it, which I've been thankful to be able to to do with all the guests we've had. Um, but I, yeah, I just keep coming back to like the stuff that um, puts the biggest grin on my face when watching it is like, um, God, that moment during last night's episode where Jordan is going around after after the they beat the Pacers and in the locker room yeah. and is like talking to everybody like that stuff is just like yeah it's catnip like you just that there's nothing you just want to gobble it all up and just keep watching you don't want it to go anywhere yeah it, and yeah and it was it was i loved that moment specifically because when he was going around like he you could tell that he had to give like the pacers some credit for what they did because usually it's like he's just very dismissive of any opponent that he has mm-hmm. but when he was like he was going around high-fiving everybody like you could tell in his voice and the way that he was like you know panting it was he's like <laughs> shit like they actually they actually ha- had us on the freaking ropes like this <laughs> like that yeah was was that painful for you to watch ryan <laughs> uh Yes. Well, yeah. So I have a very distinct memory of it really felt like it could have happened, but it was okay because it was Michael Jordan Mm -hmm. and this is Larry's first year and we're obviously going to get it. Um, So in retrospect, it's a little painful, but uh, I remember feeling very hopeful of the future of the Pacers and not knowing that they would attack a stadium full of fans um, just a few years later, but. Uh, but it's okay because then they got Danny Granger a few years later and everything worked out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think um, uh, that concludes. Uh, did anybody else have any like other notes that they wanted to talk about? I I have a little basketball documentary factoid I yeah. discovered about ten minutes before we started recording, um, and I sent Arlen this clip. Jay Williams went on ESPN today and just said like the most asinine thing i don't even remember what it was but it was just like i don't know how you make documentaries after this because this was no my god um (laughs) it's like the the most brutal 19 seconds i've ever listened to um but he so then i got thinking about jay williams a legendary chicago player who started for a year as a rookie and then had a motorcycle accident without a helmet and a license and got cut and uh well, so I was like, I wonder where Jay Williams wrecked his motorcycle. So I did some digging, and I found in Chicago Magazine exactly where he wrecked his motorcycle, and it is two blocks from Cartempwin Films. <laughs> wow. So That's funny. I guess KTQ's going to have to uh, make the Jay Williams doc. Let's hope. All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, Ryan. Yeah. Um, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been it's been nice to to talk about this with with different people each week and get their perspectives. Um, I think we'll be back for one more episode, um, recapping the series, uh, I guess, in more detail. But mailbag and in a mailbag special. Um, but yeah, uh, until then, Shia.